This morning I'm mixing what's in my heart because it's, it's several layers, but I do want to address directly men, and I will be doing that in, in this message. But also, in almost all of New Testament teaching, the, the actual original language is much more general than that. It, uh, it's inclusive. There's neither male nor female as we look at the sonship and the family of God. And, and in, in the kingdom, uh, Jesus said there's neither male nor fem- female. He said, it's misunderstanding you have if you think that. That's enough that we could preach on that, think on that, pray about that for a lifetime. And so far, I've been working on it about 20-some years. So uh, I'm going to try to put all of that into about four hours today. Not really. (laughs) If I say four, you'll feel pretty good about one, right? As I begin to... Uh, talk about this in the issue of faith and in the issue of fathers in the house. Uh, I do it with compassion. And the most effective uh, definition for compassion is a deep sympathy and even a sorrow for the misfortune of others. But it's combined with the will to be instrumental in alleviating that suffering. And I was, not too many years back, I was reading a large book by a women's rights advocate that she wrote a large book coming out on behalf of men. She wasn't giving up the women's rights idea, but she was saying in the middle of it that men of our, excuse me, of our generation operate not so much or, or they're identified not so much by their activity but what has been done to them by the culture. Now, that's no excuse for us to not be men. But there is some truth in that. And to, to begin to overcome in our day, we're going to have to face some giants. But you know what? Men are born for that. I'm telling you, men are born for that. I don't know about you guys, but something just rises up in me when, when I say I'm going to have to face some giants. I'm saying, yeah, we can do that. I'm old, but I can face them. <laughs> it's up to God whether I tumble or they do, but we can face them. But to begin to identify, we, we've got to come to the conclusion that God did not make a mistake when he said male and female. He created them. And just to give you some, this is an example where God cautioned me. He wanted, I felt like he wanted me to use it, but not to overuse it because I'm still working it out in my mind. So I'm just going to brush by this. But give you an example. When the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, the Bible says that the women began to sing. And they sang something like this. I will sing unto the Lord for he has conquered gloriously horse and rider thrown into the sea. It was a female thing. It's how they did it. On the other hand, where men are concerned, when David got the word that he was to bring the ark back, and hey, he had to face some giants to do that, but when he was to bring the ark back to Israel, the Bible says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. 
women sang unto the Lord. David danced before the Lord. What was the difference? It was revelation of who they were. David understood that this was a verification that he was king in Israel. The women understood that they could move the heart of the Father God by their dancing and their singing and their praising and their exulting. Now, I've got to leave that there because I don't want to push it too far. But what I'm, what I, what I'm getting to here is when we talk about God as Father and talk about men as fathers in the house, we're not talking about a title, not talking about a doctrine. We're talking about a heart. That I have the heart to identify in people what they can be and the will to bring it out. I have the heart to identify what can be overcome in our culture and the heart to overcome it. It's a father's heart, and that's what father has toward us. That's what he wants us to understand about his being father and probably revealed the best in the story of the prodigal son that the boy was gone. But somehow, father saw him afar off. The father recognized there's more to this boy than this. There'll come a time when he recognizes something, so he saw him when he was far off. Evidence that he'd been looking for him to come back. He'd been waiting. This boy will come home. I'm going to be looking at him. And when he comes home, I'm going to him. I'm not going to force him to come to me. I'm going to him. That's a father. That's the heart of a father. Now, to continue in that heart, the father in that case could not have just caved in to the culture that says, well, you overindulged the boy. You gave him the money. Now he's gone. He'll never return. No. Yeah, I gave him what was coming to him. But he'll be back. There'll come a time. He'll be back. And I implore you, male and female, when you look at those you love, don't give up on them. Amen. They'll be back. They'll be back. And there are some giants that you can overcome, some things that you can do that'll cause you to live in the land of the promise. You see, in the land of promise, you're not looking to manna every day. You're not looking to the cloud and the fire. You're living where God determined you would live and you're making choices that causes you to live there and you're, you're reaping crops that you didn't plant. You're living in houses you didn't build. But it's still the provision of God, but it's not miracle to miracle. It's a lifestyle. And that's what it looks like to be a father and a mother in the house of God. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then immediately from there to Jude, verse 3. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier and act service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Jude 3, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once given 
or once for all delivered to the saints. First of all, let's talk about faith. I've been uh, uh, promising to do this. Or we're gonna, I'm going to do at least three sessions on this, and I don't know, some of the others may do more. But hear me well concerning faith. Faith is not something I can conjure up by repeating memorized verses. Hear me? Faith is not something that will happen while I'm complaining to God about what's not happening in my life. But faith is something that we all have a measure of this within us, every one of us. And faith is something that comes as we respond to hearing Him. Now, faith reaches into that which is not yet seen and lays hold of something that is not yet in the natural, but it does not let go. Faith does not think I can memorize more verses and cause that to happen. Faith lays hold of something realizing that that which is in the realm of the Father is more real than that which is affecting my life right now. So when Paul says to Timothy, I want you to commit this to faithful men, He's not talking about men that the world has said, oh, isn't it nice? And I'm going I'm to use the illustration out of my own life. Hopefully in, in this I won't offend anybody else. But <laughs> uh, people used to come up to me. My wife was sick for 28 years, and I, I did take care of her. But they'd come up to me and say, oh, I admire you so much because you're taking care of your wife. That's faithfulness. No, that wasn't faithfulness. Faithfulness was doing the best against all odds to reach into something in God and bring something from that into this. That's faithfulness. And my thinking because of serving God is, how dare you say that I am so good because I'm taking care of what God has given me to take care of? You hear me? God gives us these things to do, and they're not always fun. It wasn't how it felt to me. It was how it was feeling to her. That was important. Now I tell you this. God gives us people in the church that are not always fun. And it's not how it's feeling to me. It's how they're wrestling and coming through and demonstrating their faith by continuing to be here, continuing to reach, continuing to respond. Their faith. That's what's important, and I'll join my faith to theirs, and by the power and help of God, pull them from darkness into this marvelous light. That's faithful men. Now, on the other hand, let me show you something. We, we're surrounded by a culture that has tried to pull the men of God into darkness. You hear me? Because men, men are designed to walk up alongside the young and throw an arm across their shoulders. Nothing sexual about it. Throw an arm across their shoulders and speak to them about what they see. What is a possibility? What is it that we see? Not, not oh, I'm, I'm going to give you everything to make you feel good, but when they're going astray, to walk up beside them and have the relationship to say, come on, you're better than that. To walk up to a young lady and have the audacity to say, God showed me that you're going to be a delight in some man's life someday. You need to keep yourself for that. 
And our culture would have us think, oh, you can't talk like that. They will call you a dirty old man. No, you can talk like that and be bold enough to stand up and talk like that. Nothing sexual about it. It's saying that God has a plan for these young lives. And they'll never get there without fathers in the house that are willing to take the risk. And they're also willing, if they see somebody stepping over the line and the risk, to walk up beside them and say, oh, no, not here. You don't treat the young ladies like that in this house. You don't treat the young men like that in this house. Not here. You see, that's the heart of a father. That is realizing that we're doing something. We have a goal. We're, we're bringing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has always been. It's eternal. But we're bringing it from His realm into this realm. And if I'm a faithful man, I'm always going to have hold of that. And when something comes into this natural realm, when I see Betty walking in complete health, that's not going to stop my faith. My faith for that will end right there. But I'll still have hold of something here. Bringing it into my world. Faithful men. Hey, Paul telling this young man the best thing you can do. And church, any way you go about it, Paul was talking to a young man about men. I've heard people try to make that a, a, a gender thing where it, it was all inclusive in this instance. But no, Paul was talking to a young man. Paul knew he was leaving his life. And Paul was saying, now Timothy, you're young, but here's what you do. You give this to faithful men. Because men will move something. My Lord, the power of a man when he lays hold of somebody and says, I'm not letting go until I see you fulfilling the graces of God in your life. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to make it a little difficult for you now, guys. Instead, too many of us have, have sat around and filled our, head, filled our head with professional sports and tried to make young people think they can do that when less than one in one million ever can. We've filled their minds with the fact that we think they can do that, and we don't really think so, but that's all we've given our life to. We need to pull it back. We need to face the giant and say, look at this. This is what faithful men do, and this is what God has said that you can do. I'm right here with you to bring you into it. It hasn't been very long ago that I stood beside the hospital bed of a young man, and I told him, I said, I'm telling you that the choice that lays before you is you can either live or die, but if you die, you're going to leave behind a couple of small children. What are you going to do about that? And he said, I've been thinking about that. God's been telling me about that. I talked to that same young man this morning, and he said, I'm doing it. He said, I, I, I'm working on this thing. That I'm going to live to see my children grow up. Why? It, yeah, God was in it, but I'll tell you what, it was because myself and several other men that knew him came along beside and said, no, you're making the wrong choice. You don't have to die like this. Now, it's going to get just brutal here for just a minute. How many of you know David is a man? He was a man. I, 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 well, I love the story of David. But you remember when Abner died? That Abner, instead of standing up against a young man that had weapons in his hand, he just assumed that the guy wouldn't do it, and the guy killed him. David stood over Abner's grave, and he said, Abner, you died like a fool dies. That your hands were not 
fettered and your, your feet were not bound. You knew what to do. You were a warrior, but you died like a fool dies. And I don't, I, I'm not doing this to, to show anything other than compassion, but I feel so much compassion for the men of this generation that have been encouraged to not be men. They've been encouraged to be something else. They've been encouraged to become ineffective, and they've been convinced they are ineffective. And I'm telling you that if, if we as a church allow that to happen and we leave this world early without having affected young lives, then we're dying like fools die. But faith instead engages the culture and says, oh, no. We're bringing the life of God into this thing. We're contending earnestly for this. Guys, there's a power in the life of a man that has yet been unexplored in this generation in the United States. And we need to understand it. And when people begin to say, oh, that's not socially correct, that don't matter. It's kingdom correct, and we're going to live it. And I, for one... I'm willing to go to jail rather than to die as a fool dies. They have said in this nation that it's hate language to talk like this. Well, if that's what they think, that's okay. I'll tell you what, God kind of likes it. God kind of likes it. Because he sees a, a world of men that can stand up and be somebody. Now, he says, commit this to faithful men. Bind these fathers in the house to a particular course of action and then turn them loose. <laughs> and folks, it's not about becoming a petty tyrant in your own house. I've been observing so many things over the past few years, really. And I, time, time won't allow me to go into it. But you, this, let me say this. When men see young ladies that are too young, I think they're always too young, but they're too young, and they're exposing their bodies to the world, and mama thinks it's cute. Deep in the heart of a man, he knows that ain't cute. He knows that's not good. And he needs to stand up and do something. He needs to stand up and say, no, no, not in this house. You say, oh, you don't know. Yes, I know. It's not meanness. It's gentle and it's kind, but saying, no, this is putting a pressure on this young life that should not be there. Not in this house. No. And gently and kindly standing there and refusing to be moved. Why? Because he's a male and he needs to do it. Because in that, he's bringing identity. He's letting a young lady know that you have a power over young men that I want to help you monitor. I want to help you learn to handle it. And this is not the way. See, the, the, where, we've made, where we've been wrong is we've got angry and we've raged and all of this stuff. But the anger of man cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. Cannot. 
103rd Psalm, verses 1 through 5, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Guys, we need to get to doing this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Who, por- who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I'm not denying that we live with the tension, the contradiction of dealing with a fallen world while living out from the life of a wonderful God. We see impossibility, guys, and we see in promise, but we live with day-to-day life. We're designed where we can grab hold of the promise, grab hold of the probabilities. I'm telling you, every day of your life, you're making decisions. I'll give you another, another illustration that when, when the, the Jewish religious circle came into the courts of Pilate, Do you ever realize that Pilate offered them the right to accept Jesus as king of the Jews? You read it. He offered them the right. What did they say? We have no king but Caesar. I'm telling you, you make decisions, guys, every day that offers you the right to recognize him as king. But because it's more comfortable... We have no king but the culture. We have no king but our teenagers' idea of life. But I'm telling you, we have a king. And he has a way for his kingdom. And his kingdom will not express on this earth outside of that. And we make decisions every day surrounding that thing. But we live with that tension. We have to have confidence that we're drawing something out of his realm. And that it will manifest here. Don't bother me with ideas of, of what I have to do to prepare for a world siege and, and be okay. Don't bother me with that stuff. I'm drawing eternity into my life. And if, if we get under siege, that'll be all right. I'll draw from eternity for that life. Don't bother me with mansions and all that stuff. I want to know what I can draw from the kingdom right now because the kingdom is at hand. And it's possible to bring it to this earth. And it's a, an inherently male trait to identify it and begin to pull on it and an inherently female trait to grasp that and begin to nurture it and give it life. But what do we give life? What do we identify? Well, you know, um, I want my child to be accepted. Yeah, at the feet of God. At the Father's right hand. I want them to be accepted there. I want them to know they are accepted. At my feet, alongside me, yeah, they're accepted. You bet you. But I don't want them to be accepted by the culture of this world, and I want to teach them to have the backbone to stand up and say, I don't need to be accepted by the culture of this world because my father's a king. And I'll tell you, once you begin to understand that that kingly identification begins to come on you, we are a kingdom of priests. Do you understand that? 
kings and priests. Once we begin to understand that, we will dance before the Lord. Not so much because we have this woo-woo feeling, but because we recognize the revelation that God himself has come to us and given us a kingdom among men that we're to not to establish. It's been established forever and ever but that we're to bring into this earth and we're to bring into this earth and we're to bring into this earth until one day God's people will rule and reign. It'll happen. So don't try to disturb what I'm doing now with what might happen in the future. We'll deal with that later. What happens now is what's important. You see, the Jewish kingdom continue to put off until the future the coming of their Messiah. Not even knowing he's already come. <laughs> Don't put it off to the future of God coming to your family. He's already come. He's taken up residence in you. Now what are you going to do to express him to the world? <coughs> One thing that God has warned me about as I've begun to prepare these messages on faith is to keep it simple. And those of you that know me well know that that's a little bit difficult for me. <coughs> But let's, let's make it simple, okay? Just a couple of things to remember. God is good. All the time. So when I'm wondering about God's will and God's desire, I have to immediately in my mind go to goodness. Let that sink in for a minute. God is good. He's to be desired. He has, he has his heart set toward you. He is one of which we can approve. He seeks. In other words, he looks for the one that's lost and reaches to them with identification as a son or daughter. Can we do that, guys? Sure we can. Sure we can. He seeks. He delivers. And in other words, when he looks at a life, he understands how caught up we are even how addicted we are, how bound we are. He understands that. But he comes anyway because he's confident in his ability to deliver. Men, we've got to understand that if we'll work with God, we have ability to deliver. We have confidence. Not, I, I don't have any confidence in the world. For instance, I've been talking to Rafa Marquez off and on through the week just trying to encourage him. He's living in Juarez, and there's two more pastors who have been shot at since Lalo was killed. And so I'm, every day I'm asking God, God, how do I walk with Rafa through this? How do, how do I talk to him where his fear becomes faith? And just this morning God said, you call him and tell him, yeah, it's not about the efforts that the, that the cartels are making to kill pastors. It's about that God is deflecting their aim. And just, just be yourself. Just stand tall. Live large. Get out there. Show the church how to live. That's the way you do it. You say, well, why did Lalo die? I don't know. That's the tension that exists. But I know this about it. I know I've heard him say he had some cancer problems that was slowly eating away at his life. He said, I'd, I'd rather die at the hands of the cartel than to die to this disease, die with this disease. I've heard him say it. And also heard him throw it in their face that when they killed his son. He, he said, I will not be silent. If they shoot me down in the street, I will not be silent. So how about leaving that in God's hands? 
and telling these other guys that the blood of, of a martyr cries out from the ground toward his God. How about going out and living that? You see, a father can identify these things and lay hold of the faith and not the fear. And my Lord, not all of us, but some, some people have somehow raised a generation of fearful men. Come on, guys. What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to send me to be at Jesus. That's not a big deal. And we need to understand that God wants to talk to men like God talks to men. He wants to talk to the ladies like God talks to ladies. You know, He's never talked to me like I was a lady. But He's talked to my wife like she's a lady, and I listen. Listen closely, because I don't comprehend lady talk. i got to take it and ponder it, and six months later, come back and say, yeah, you're probably right. I know you guys don't identify with that, but that, you know, that's the way it is. Now, God is good. The other important factor is that the devil's bad. Now, that's simple enough, right? Here's how we identify God is good. The devil's bad. He steals. He takes the very life that is possible away from you. He'll do it in many ways. He'll make it look so cool to start to ingest things into your system that make you feel good, and He'll kill you with it. He kills. He steals your life, destroys your standard of living, and separates you from God. So, simple, right? God is good. The devil is bad. If it's separating someone from life, if it's keeping them away from the life that is in God, then it must be of the enemy. Now I've identified the enemy and realized, hey, Jesus overcame that. It's all good. Jesus gives life. That's all good. So I'll just do what Jesus says. And I won't be pressured by that which would steal, kill, and destroy. Simple. But we've become so twisted in our thinking in the modern American church that we mix it up. We actually accuse God of putting sickness and disease on us. And I'm talking after having gone through it now. 28 plus years, I walked beside a woman who was ill. And I know what it's like to stand beside the grave and know that we lost that battle. Now, there's all kinds of charismania that say, oh, no, you didn't lose. Yes, we lost. But we didn't lose the war. And it took me years after that to come to the realization that I'm probably never going to completely understand that. But I do understand that God is good. And that's where I must start. With God being good, He heals all our diseases. And so I can reach into his realm and start pulling on something that matches my compassion for Trent. Man, I'm telling you, God is good, Trent. And he has what you need to get up and walk and live a full life beside a completely well wife. God has that. I'm reaching in with you, laying hold of that. And that's faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And I'm not saying that men are uniquely qualified to do this, but we're uniquely qualified to identify it. And others 
are uniquely qualified to give that thing life and cause it to live, just like Terry does almost every week in some way or another, just like your wife does every day, is somehow give life to this thing in God while we're pulling on the miracle. I love the way your face glows when we talk about healing, Trent. It's expectation, it's hope, isn't it? Yep, yep. hallelujah. I love this guy. You see, we become so twisted in, in our thinking that we don't know who our deliverer is. Tell you, if God gave you that, you got no deliverer. But he says, I'm your deliverer. So I've got to take a stand somewhere, and as for me, I'll stand with him. Now, we've, we've been given the soul, mind, the will, and the emotion. With our will, we determine what we're going to walk in. With our will, we embrace the darkness of this world. Or with our will, we open up to the light that is in God. Uh, if I, by an act of my will, embrace that I'm going to walk with God, I'm going to believe it. Not, I know I can't embrace what the church calls perfection. But I can embrace a path to maturity. And if I will, with my will, embrace that, then my mind prepares itself to receive what my will has engaged. And then my emotion, mind, will, and the emotion, the, the areas of the soul, my emotion then begin, my, with my emotion, I begin to touch my world. And I either touch my world out of the darkness that is in the culture, or I touch my world out of the light that is in God. And it's all because I've set my will one way or the other. Many men, and I, folks, I have talked to, interviewed, preached to, ministered to literally thousands of men, and that's, that's not an exaggeration. But I'm telling you, many men think they haven't yet made the choice. If you think you haven't made the choice, you've made the choice. Sitting and being silent is making the choice. Deciding that it's not worth the effort, making a choice. But if you stand up and say, I'm going to engage the things that God said is true. And I'm not going to let what happens right now affect that. I'm going to open my mind to receive out of the realm of God. If you do that, everything changes. Everything changes. Now, you don't feel so comfortable just, just I'm going to say it, sitting and flipping the remote. You don't feel so comfortable Spending money on toys and nothing on the kingdom. Why? Because all of a sudden you have become what God says you are and that's sons of the kingdom. To all that believe, he gives the right. He doesn't give the mandate. He gives the right to become sons of God. We are mature sons and daughters in the kingdom. He gives you that right. But he won't force it on you because somehow God so honors the free will that he'll let you destroy your life alongside the devil before he'll force one decision on you. But you need to know, guys, that we either engage or that we do not. And men, I challenge you this morning to embrace the tension. What we've become is not kingdom, but we can become kingdom. All, it's just a decision away. 
But because we have been expected to do things that are not inherently male, and this is a, this is a male trait, we've shut down. Fire it back up. Nobody, look around you, nobody has the right to tell you what is inherently male, what is inherently female, only the God that created you. And you need to embrace what he says is male in your life. Because it's important. It's important. It's so important, as we spoke of on Mother's Day, it's so important that the ladies be who they are. And it's so important that the men be who they are. And maybe someday soon I'll do a message on bringing that together in the church and and kind of what that looks like. But for now, I just want you to realize that you can trust the fact that there's forward movement when you don't see it. And trust itself is embracing forward movement when you don't understand it. Understanding does not come from a distance. Understanding, well, sometimes it's from a distance. Sometimes you look back and you understand what happened. But when you look forward, don't, don't expect to understand it. Because God gives you the intestinal fortitude. I need to say that right. God gives you the intestinal fortitude, guys, to step up and step in and trust that he'll bring it through. What if I make a mistake? You will. I promise you, you will. And be a man, apologize for it, and move on. Don't go wallowing in the mistakes. Live in the moment. Live in God. Live in what God has for you now. Because if you will do that, you will find God is directing your path. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and violent men take it by force. You see something in the kingdom, go for it. Lay hold on that thing. Begin to pull it into your natural. Begin to lay hold of that and pull it into your natural. And you'll find things begin to happen. Why? Because you become, now ladies can become this too, but in in their own right, but you become an indomitable force when you agree with what God has said and you get the revelation of what you can be in your family and in the house of God. And some of it needs to be prefaced by a man planting his feet and just saying kindly and with deference, nope. Not happening here. And let me explain why. Until you can explain why, don't say no. Say, hang on, wait a minute, let's take this to God, let's hear God. But don't say no until you can explain why. But you can say this, you can say, there's just, what, what would have been different if Adam had said, Eve, there's just something in my spirit that says we shouldn't take a bite of that. And they had gone and come back together and decided why they shouldn't. Now, on the other side, in American culture, he, he would scream and rage and, and throw a little boy fit and make his wife mad and determine she's going to eat the whole tree. But what would have happened if he had, <laughs> What would have happened if he had just said, Eve, let's, let's hold off on this. Don't, don't do that. Let's, let's ask Father what it is we should do. And then if she insists, well, no, I'm going to eat it, say, well, you go ahead. But as for me, I'm going to wait and see what Father says. It would have changed everything. 
it would have probably made it to where I messed it up instead of Adam. Because I contend that Eve didn't mess it up, Adam did. But guys, we have in us the faith that takes the initiative to just believe that God is a God of integrity and He'll keep His Word. You know, I am contending personally for some things in Chelsea's health. I've laid hold of those things and I, just, I refuse to believe it's not available in God. I don't care what 35 years in the hospital on concrete has done to her joints. I believe there's healing in God. I'm laid hold of that. And yeah, we'll deal with whatever we deal with right now, but I'm laid hold of something because God is good. And the pain she endures sometimes is not good. So I identify where that comes from. You say life, yeah, but I don't think God created hospitals. I think he uses them, but I don't think he created them. So I'll just lay hold on health and see what happens. Because he's God after all. And we've seen some advancement in that. Just for no reason at all, her knees were healed in a service down in Arkansas back in December. Just nobody laid hands on her, no real reason, except that we had been contending for her health. And they just healed. Just, she just realized, hey, my knees don't hurt anymore. Once or twice it's tried to come back. We've stood against it. It left again. She's had her knees in good shape. You see, bringing what was in his realm into our realm and then laying hold of more. Not deciding, oh man, this is a fulfillment of my faith. No, 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 no. Faith is not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time event. It's laying hold of what's in the kingdom and bringing it into our natural world. That's what faith looks like. Now, because of Jesus, hear me well, I hope you're not developing your theology out of Job. Because let me tell you something. Jesus happened. <laughs> the cross is real. The stripes on his back were real. And it was so that our covenant could be founded on better promises, on better things. I don't develop my theology out of the Old Testament because of Jesus. So I lay hold of those things that's promised in Him and promised in the New Covenant. And I look back and when I see all that stuff that Job went through, I think, thank God for Jesus. You see, there's a difference. Better promises, better way, better covenant. And guys, here's something that I hope you get from this message. Most of you are saved, and I'll say more about this in other messages, I'm sure, but most of, most of you are saved. You, you've felt that of being brought out of Egypt. But do you remember they were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness? I want you to think about this for a minute. It took them 30, uh, 40 years. Most of them died in the wilderness. They had the presence of God. They had the provision of God. They had parts of the law. But they died in the wilderness. They didn't, they didn't receive the promise. Guys, there's a promise in you that you need to let resurrect today. You need to let that desire rise up in you again and realize that it truly is desire. It is of the sire. It's of the father to be something, 
to rule and to reign on this earth, and that's not in the case of a petty tyrant. I can't say that too much. It's not for you to yell and scream at your family and, and set yourself up as the male-dominant force. That's not it. But it is to rule over that which would take life and to reign in the life of Christ. And that's given to you guys. It's given to you because God wanted you to have it. And because... Boy, there's a lot that I could go through here, but I'm just going to say this. Paul identified it in Timothy. He identified that Adam was first in responsibility. And that's where a man is first, is in responsibility for his family and ultimately as a corporate, corporate group for the welfare and well-being of the church. We're first in responsibility. And where that responsibility well, we have to do it with the heart of a father. And the heart of a father says, I see it because of God that dwells in me. I have the ability to be a part of bringing it forth. I have the ability to care for it. I have the ability to provide for it and protect it. And I have confidence that this woman which walks beside me that is worthy, not a helpmate, She's a helper worthy to walk beside you that she will help me to bring life to this thing and to nurture this thing. And you, in the story of Jesus and his birth, what you find is Mary took a word from Father, nurtured it, brought it to being, and between Mary and Joseph and the others around them, the created Savior. Now, we're not going to create a bunch of saviors, but we can create some amazing men and women of God in the face of the culture. Here's so many people bowing to the culture saying, I don't know what we're going to do about our kids. I, I don't know if our kids can live for God in this. Yes, your kids can live for God in this. And what we're going to do about our kids is we're going to let the presence of God reign and rule. And we're going to talk to them about why we're doing that, how we're doing that, and see what it looks like in them. And like arrows in the hand of a warrior, prepare them as the Garzanelli family is their children to launch them into the world and trust God that it hits the target for which it's prepared. And as a church, that's kind of difficult because sometimes we release them a family at a time. But I just trust that God is in them and that he's going to do something and that the seed of righteousness, which is the seed of relationship, is in them and that they'll produce something on the earth that is godly and right. Bow your heads for just a moment. Father, I ask you that you would challenge men in particular this morning to realize that this is not so hard. Matter of fact, this is the cause of some of, some of the struggle that's within them. It's because deep inside they know their value. And somehow they haven't felt free to rise to it. I break away the holds of the culture and darkness this morning. And I ask you to place in their heart a confidence that they can rise to this. In Jesus' name.